Welcome to the Watermark Wesleyan Church Reach and Teach Podcast with your hosts, Randy Johnson and Dan Ward. Welcome back to the Reach and Teach Podcast. This is Dan Ward, joined by Randy Johnson, our co-host. Today we're joined by Tess. She does some wonderful ministry that we're going to hear all about. And we have changed her name and will not mention some of the countries that she serves in based on security concerns for her and the team that are involved there. But we wanted to share with you a little bit about her ministry and about her. And so we're going to jump right in here. Tess, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. Would you maybe just start out giving us kind of the 30,000 foot view on what your ministry is all about? Sure. I'd love to. Thanks, Dan, for having me today. Yes, the name of my ministry is Story Runners. And we are an oral Bible storying ministry of Crew. And Crew, as you may know, is the name of Campus Crusade for Christ in the U.S. And we've been part of the ministry now since 2003. And Crew, as you may know, started on the college campus in 1951. And now is reaching every segment of society, reaching athletes and the military and students and people in urban areas, people in small villages around the world. And part of the vision of Story Runners is to reach that segment that's yet unreached, what we call unreached people groups, those who have little to no access to the scriptures in their heart language. So that's kind of the big picture of what we're going after. That's great. Can you kind of give us an idea of the scope and how many people are we talking about, where they are, kind of give us a little more detail of your if we can call it a customer base or target base, uh, who are we talking about here? Sure. Well, as you may know, there are over 7,000 languages in the world. And of those 7,000, over 3,700 do not have access, or maybe they have only a little bit of access to the scriptures in their heart language. When we talk about a heart language, we're talking about the language that the people use in their everyday life. It may not even be the language they're educated in. And so of those people, two-thirds of the world's population are oral preference learners, what we call oral preference. And those people may or may not be literate. Oftentimes they can read, but they may not read in their heart language because their heart language isn't even a written language. And so being an oral preference learner is not just a matter of can I read or can I not read, but it's a whole perspective on life and it affects how they perceive the world, how they interact with information. They primarily rely on spoken communication, even if they can read. They pass on their identity and their culture, their history, their beliefs, all through oral means, through stories, through songs. They learn and teach via modeling, apprenticeships, just by doing, not so much by reading about a subject. They really value traditional sources of information and wisdom. So perhaps in a village area, it would be the tribal elders would be the people they would go to for their wisdom and information rather than going to maybe a published book on the subject. Even if they could read it, they would trust the village elder more than they would trust that book. So if we're trying to reach these people, it's best for us to keep our subject matter to concrete realities, you know, things that they can hold on to things they can imagine or see in their minds and picture rather than abstract concepts, which is why in Story Runners, we use Bible stories, a chronological Bible story set that helps them go from one story to another and see in a chronological, sequential way, the unfolding gospel from creation through the return of Christ. 
For people who maybe aren't familiar with having a heart language and even just what that would look like culturally, how would you describe that to someone who just has no concept of what that would even look like? It's probably distinguished between two things, a heart language and oral preference learners, but um, the heart language is just the language you grow up speaking. So for me, that's English. You know, I grew up speaking English. I speak two other languages, though not fluently. And it's difficult for me sometimes to communicate in those other languages or to really connect with people at a heart level because those are not my first language. Sometimes we call it a first language. And in many places where we go, the people are often educated maybe in a common or trade language in their country. Like when we go to West Africa, the trade language is West African French. And so many people are educated in that language, but it's not their heart language. It's not their tribal language. Even if they live in urban areas, which many people do, they still carry with them that first or heart language, their tribal language. That is how they pass on the important information and important aspects of their culture and what's really deep in their hearts. So when it comes to the spiritual truths, that's where you want to reach people, not in a trade language that was kind of second, maybe it's their third language that they speak, because oftentimes they'll speak two or three tribal languages in addition to the trade language. So you want to reach them in that language that really speaks to their heart. I know when I was talking to the leadership of the Jesus film, some of the, my friends there shared with me that when they hear in a Jesus film their own heart language, because that's been translated into, I think, over 2,000 languages now, that when they hear things in their heart language, it just changes everything in terms of receptivity, conversions. When all of a sudden they hear the disciples speaking in their language and Jesus speaking in their language, it's a game changer for evangelism like nothing else. And I would have to imagine that's true with story runners as well. Yes. In fact, um, I have a couple stories that I'll tell you that I think that illustrate that really well. Um, one of our guys in the Middle East, who I'll call Adam, Adam speaks seven languages. He's highly educated. He's a translator by profession, which is why he participated in our school of storying. We hired him as a translator for the time. But at the end of the training, when we asked people, what did you enjoy about this training? He said that I could hear and tell God's word in my own language. And when he said my own language, he was talking about that heart language. You know, he's read the Bible in English and other languages that he's actually fluent in. But they don't have the scriptures in his heart language yet. And so hearing the stories from God's word in his heart language really moved him and enabled him to see the truth of the passage that was in the story in a deeper way and to apply it in a more personal way. That's a great example. You have someone who can fluently read and write, obviously, multiple languages, but the issue isn't that he can't understand language. It's that it's not in his native heart language. And, and so that's, and that's very helpful. I'm also assuming there's places that you go where there is no written language. And yes. And all they get is that. And there's a lot of those, I understand. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's where you'll find a lot of the oral preference learners as well. So we have people groups who do not have the scriptures or the gospel in their heart language, and that's where your ministry kind of comes into play. And maybe you could kind of break down what that looks like, what Story Runners is a little bit for us. 
we try to work with local partners in the regions where we go and we've been working a lot in West Africa and just started in East Africa, have had some projects in Middle East and South Asia, Southeast Asia, Central Asia. So God's just been really opening some doors recently and we'll work with a local partner who may be a staff member with crew in that part of the world or they'll be perhaps a pastor or a missionary with some other organization that we partner with. And it's their role as the host to gather a group of people who speak the local language as their heart language, who want to have the stories in their language. And when we go, my role is as a trainer or a coach, helping those participants, those local language participants, to develop a set of stories in their language and the story set um, I alluded to earlier, we have 40 stories in the set. We call it the promise and it goes from creation to the return of Christ. And the process that we use is a six step process to test and refine the stories so that they are what we call bona or bona fide. They're biblically faithful, orally reproducible. So they're easy to learn, easy to retell. They're naturally told, so they're using language and words that are common in their culture. They're not using Christian jargon, and they're appropriate to the culture. So they're telling the story in a way that is meaningful in their cultural context. And so then once they are developing those stories, they'll begin to learn the stories and use them in a ministry of evangelism. We send them out into the local community. They tell the stories to the people that they meet. And then they begin to gather a group of people who want to hear stories ongoing and um, learn the stories in what we call a story fellowship group. And in that story fellowship group, they'll not only learn the story, but they will also discuss the story kind of like a Bible study, but it's all oral. And then from there, as those story groups mature and other people in the group learn to tell the stories in the community, that group may mature into perhaps a house church. And then the whole idea of a story group enables everyone in that group to know how to lead a story group. And so then everyone in the group goes out and starts their own story group. And you can see how quickly that will multiply as people really grab hold of that vision. That sounds like not something we'd see around here so much, but that whole idea of gathering as a group, sharing stories, reproducing. I mean, we understand that in a Christian context with Bible studies, but within the, an oral culture, would that be more common? Yes, it really would, because particularly in an oral culture, but even here in the U.S., we see that stories get passed on naturally. People just love a good story. My director likes to say people love a good story, and these stories change lives. For example, we have a pastor in West Africa that we've worked with, and he was doing church in the kind of the normal way he was taught, which was by Western missionaries. And he was preaching sermons on a Sunday morning, and he would go into the fields to talk with other farmers. He himself is a farmer, and he would preach sermons to them. And he would open his Bible, and he would teach from the Bible. But he found that when he'd go back and talk with these guys a couple days later, a week later, they didn't remember what he had talked about. But then after he went through one of our schools of storying and learned how to tell stories and how to use them in ministry, he went back to the same farmers and began to tell them stories from God's word. 
And what he found is they not only remembered the stories, but they started telling other people the stories. And so whenever he would go back and visit them, it seemed like more and more people around the village had already heard the story. He didn't need to tell them because they were kind wow. of perpetuating. You know, they began to start story groups and plant churches. And it's continuing to grow from there. I have to ask you, if you'd be willing, could you tell us a story? I'd love to. One of my favorite stories that I got to preach from when I was in South Asia, um, one of the things that we have the privilege oftentimes is we'll walk into a church on Sunday morning and they'll say, oh, Sister Tess is here and she's going to preach for us today, even though they never asked you ahead of time. <laughs> so this happened to me on my last trip. So I decided to tell a story. And this is the story that I told. It's called Forgiven. One day, Jesus was invited to the home of a religious leader named Simon. And while he was there, a woman from the town who was known to be immoral showed up carrying a bottle of expensive perfume. She entered the house, and when she saw Jesus, she walked over to him. And she began to cry, and her tears fell on his feet. So she wiped them with her hair. And then she took the perfume, and she poured it all over his feet. Well, Simon was thinking to himself, if this man were really a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. Well, Jesus knew what he was thinking. And he said, Simon, I have something to tell you. There was a man who loaned money to two other men. To one, he gave what would be mm, two months salary. To the other, he gave 10 times that amount. But neither one of them were able to pay. So he forgave the debt of both. Simon, which one of these men will love him more? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who owed him more. And Jesus said, that's right. But you see this woman? When I came to your house, you didn't even give me water to wash the dust off my feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you didn't even greet me as you should by giving me oil for my hair. But this woman has poured expensive perfume all over my feet. Her great love shows that she's been forgiven much. But someone who's been forgiven a little loves only a little. And then he looked at the woman and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other people in the house were thinking, who is this man who even forgives sin? And then Jesus looked at the woman again and said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's certainly a springboard. Yeah. You can see how that story, especially for an oral preference learner who's used to learning things by listening, it's short, it's simple, it only has a few scenes in it. You can break it down easily and you can pass it along easily. And the thing that I also love about teaching from God's word in story form is, um, I'll tell you another story by way of example, is when I used this story to preach on Sunday, which I didn't really preach, I told the story. And then I, I said, you know what I like about this story? And then I started using four questions that we use in our story groups. What did you like in the story? What was confusing to you in the story? What does the story show us about God? What does it show us about people? So I kind of used that outline as my sermon. And I told the story and then talked about the story in that context. And afterwards, after the service, a woman came up to me and she was crying and 
through the translator, he told me that this woman had been a prostitute. And when she heard me tell the story and talk about the story using the four questions, she said it was the first time she really understood what Jesus had done for her and how he had taken her in. And she had just been reading, she was a literate person, but an oral preference learner, she had just been reading that story in the scriptures a couple days before that Sunday. And she said she walked away from it feeling ashamed still about her past. But when she heard it in story form, she was able to see how God honored that woman and how he blessed her and really elevated her in the eyes of those around her. And she saw that that's what he had done for her as well. Awesome. Wow. It's amazing how powerful a story like that, that, that normally we're used to reading or hearing a sermon about. When you just tell it without reading it, it, it has a, a different sort of power. It's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. It does work so well. I, I understand from a previous conversation we had that you actually train people and you go out and it's used in the United States also, this method of sharing the gospel. Explain how that works in the United States. Yes. Well, um, of course, COVID has kind of altered a lot of how we do things, but it's given us some new ideas too. (laughs) We do have a couple different formats here in the U.S. where we train people in storytelling and how to use stories, how to develop stories from the scriptures. And one of them is our Orlando School of Storying, where we invite people to come to Orlando, which is where our offices are, and participate in a training for a few days where they'll learn some stories from God's word, and they'll also learn how to use them in a story fellowship group. And then we'll send them out into the community here in Orlando to tell the stories to others and to hopefully have an opportunity to ask them the questions. You know, what did you like in the story? Those four questions that I mentioned earlier. So that's one thing that we do. We also sometimes will send a team out to, you know, another city or a church in the local area that has gathered a group of people that want to learn stories. So we've done that as well. We have a summer mission here in the U.S. We have been doing it in Rocky Mountain National Park. This summer, though, we took it online and did it virtually, where we had a bunch of college students join us, and they learned some stories from God's Word. And then their homework from that was to call a friend and uh, tell them the story and ask them the questions, and hopefully someone who was not a believer. So that's another way. We also have a summer mission that we've done in the Middle East where we send college students there to do the same thing, learning stories, telling stories, and leading story fellowship groups. And they worked with students who were learning English in that country. Of course, they're always looking for English language partners, so it was an easy matchup. So that actually has kind of continued in an online format here in the U.S. We weren't able to do the summer mission in the country this year because of COVID, but we have continued the English language club online and so have assigned you know, English language partners to the students who were wanting to continue that. So that's another way of um, people having opportunity to tell the stories. Can you share with us a little bit about how everything got rolling for you, how you got started in missions and just kind of that story? Sure. Well, I would say it probably first was an idea in my mind back when I was in high school. I was a new believer, didn't really know anything about 
missionaries or missions, but I was attending a very missions-minded church at the time. And, you know, missionaries would come through on furlough and they would tell their stories of what God was doing on the field. And, you know, I was just trying to wrap my mind around it because I'd never heard of such a thing before. And I remember clearly some of the missionaries would talk about the people groups that they worked with who didn't have the scriptures in their own language. And I couldn't even imagine that, especially when I looked at my own bookshelf and I had, you know, Bibles, several Bibles in my own language, plus Bibles in other languages. And I never knew that there were people who didn't have the Bible in their language. So that was kind of the beginning. And I started praying what the Lord wanted me to do when I graduated. I went on to college, of course, and got involved in crew as a student there and wanted to learn how to share my faith. And so I went with crew on a spring break project down here in Florida. Actually, I'm from there up in Buffalo, but came down to Florida and was learning to share my faith with people on the beach, which I was terrified to do. Evangelism is actually not one of my spiritual gifts, so it does not come naturally to me. But with a little bit of training and a willingness, the Lord used me during that week I was down here and I was able to lead a girl to the Lord on the beach. And for the first time, I could see how God could use me to reach others with the gospel. And he also used uh, Matthew 6.33, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, all you, the things you worry about, you know, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to go to school, who you're going to marry, all those, you know, I had all those kinds of worries when I was going to college. But God said, if I seek him first, that all those other things will be added to me as well. And so I just kind of rested in that and was praying about what to do after college. And because of my involvement with CREW, I started looking at missions possibilities with CREW, but also with other denominational missions as well. And God kind of led me to CREW. And actually for my first probably 20 some years, 26, 27 years with CREW, I worked at our headquarters in various operational roles, HR roles. But throughout that time dabbled, I would say, in Unreached Peoples, we have other ministries here locally that we partner with who bring international students to Orlando for holidays and things. And I've hosted them in my home over the years, for many years actually, and also got involved with the Perspectives on the World Christian Movement course. I don't know if you are familiar with that, but big plug for Perspectives. Talks a lot about Unreached Peoples. And so God kind of reignited my interest in reaching those who don't have the scriptures in their language. So then I just started praying, you know, probably six years ago now, again, asking the Lord, is this the, your timing for me to be more directly involved in reaching unreached peoples? And one thing led to another, God opened the opportunity for me to transfer to Story Runners and in 2016, I guess it was, um, transferred to Story Runners and that's how I arrived where I am today. Very cool. Yeah, Perspectives is amazing. I haven't done it myself, actually, but the church I was at previously sent tons and tons of people there, and yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So, And thanks for sharing some of your background and just how you got involved. That's very cool to hear. Is there any other story that you can share with us about your experiences? Because you've been all over the world. So tell me another cool story. Yeah, I want to tell you about a woman named Alma. 
I was not actually on this project, but one of my teammates was telling me about her. And I think probably her story also really illustrates well the power of story in oral cultures. And Alma was a lady who actually is illiterate. She doesn't read or write. And she was the only person who came to that particular school of storying who did not read or write. And the others on the project kind of looked down on her. You know, they were, many of them were pastors actually. And they really didn't um, see the value of her participating because she was illiterate. I think they just hadn't caught the vision yet of what oral Bible storying was all about. Well, Alma herself really felt like she was not able to really minister to people because she couldn't open the Bible and read it to them. But as she began to learn the stories, they came easy to her because she's an oral preference learner. And she began to tell the stories in the community and started herself a story group. And her testimony is that before I felt like God couldn't use me, but now I know the stories and I can minister to other people and lead people to Christ. And she was so excited when she left that school of storying because she was felt useful in God's kingdom for the first equipped. time. Yeah, she was equipped. She was equipped, absolutely. And, you know, all the literate methods that were available to her were not helpful to her because mm. she couldn't read. Yeah, I mean, empowerment is so important. And when people can't participate like everybody else, even though they're physically there, they're not there, they're pulling out. And now mm. they can be right, they could be leading. Some of these non-oral learners, from my experience, are some of the smartest people in the world. They're brilliant. And mm -hmm. yet, because they don't have a written language, their brilliance doesn't have a way to show. And yet you can tell, like you said, the village elders, the ones that do rise up in some of these cultures are so gifted. And when they speak, everybody listens, everybody pays attention mm -hmm. and they can change culture. I mean, even here, when somebody's a great speaker, it carries weight, it mm -hmm. carries weight. The other thing that I think stories are so powerful in is discipleship. I mean, we, we've talked a little bit already about how we use them in evangelism, but during one of our schools of storying, the group that I was coaching, we were developing the story of Abraham when God calls him and tells him to go to a country that he would show him, but you know, Abe didn't know where he was going and when he would get there or anything. Well, like I mentioned earlier, one of the things we do is send them out into the community to tell stories. Well, my group would come back every day and they hadn't told anybody the stories. So I asked them, why is it that you're not telling stories when you go out in the community? And they said, we're afraid. And I said, oh, what are you afraid of? And they said, well, we're afraid that people might reject us or be angry with us. And this is in West Africa. I mean, does this not sound familiar here in the U.S., though? Isn't that what we're all afraid of? You know, yeah. why don't tell people about Jesus? So I was able to use the very story that we were developing in our group to disciple them about this. I said, well, let's talk about our story. You know, how did Abraham respond when God asked him to do something that was probably pretty scary? And so we talked through the whole story of how, you know, he, by faith, he went not knowing, and how God credited to him as righteousness, called him faithful, because he went, even though he was afraid, and God met him there, and God blessed him, and God used him for his glory. 
And so after that, that afternoon, we sent them back out and I was praying furiously. I'm like, oh, Lord, help them to uh, apply what your story is saying. One of the girls in the group, we'll call her Jen. Jen really, of all the group, was probably the most fearful. And that afternoon, she went and told the story to 34 people in the village. Wow. So he came back so pumped and excited and ready to be used of God. So it was really exciting. That's great. That's amazing. How can somebody learn how to tell stories? Well, the easiest way is to participate in a story fellowship group. A story fellowship group is kind of like a Bible study, but it's all oral. And your Bible study leader is what we call the storyteller. So this would be a person who has already learned the story. And that person tells the story twice. And then they have the group tell the story back to them, piece it back together. And then we'll use a learning method. Maybe we'll use objects or we might act the story out. Or we'll use hand motions to illustrate different parts of the story. So we go through the story maybe one or two more times using the, uh, that learning method. And then we have everyone in the group tell it in pairs. So, Randy, if you were my partner, I would tell you the story and you would tell me the story. And we would help each other if we miss a part. And then we have a volunteer from the larger group tell the story to the whole group. This is probably your first half hour of a story fellowship group. By that time, everybody's heard and told the story six, seven, maybe eight times. And everybody knows the story by this point. And like I said earlier, the stories are short. You know, they're anywhere from one minute to maybe two minutes, two and a half minutes. So they're not long. And then we would discuss the story to really internalize it. We always say in our training, you know, we don't memorize stories. We internalize them. So we're not real concerned that you say it exactly the way I said it, as long as the way you say it doesn't change the meaning of the story. And so then we talk about it using the four questions. What did you like in the story? What? What did you not like or what was confusing? What does it show us about God? What does it show us about people? And then we always want to talk about application. How will you apply what you've learned from this story? What's God teaching you? And who are you going to tell the story to? So that's always our final application. And so that kind of really cements the story for them when they have to go out and tell it to someone else and, and ask them the questions. So that's one way you can learn the stories. Another way is you can learn them from I'm just listening to an audio recording of the story. Can you tell me of how storytelling has affected more than just an individual or the method kind of went into a village or something like that? Sure. So on one of our other schools of storying, this also was not one I was at, but one of my teammates, it was in South Asia. And when leaving the school of storying, one of our participants was challenged to go and tell the stories to the Hindu priests at the temple. He was really nervous about that and didn't think it was going to be very difficult to do, but he decided he was going to go by faith. So he went to his village and went to the Hindu priest and uh, told him some stories. And then he was getting ready to leave on, um, I think he was going to another village to do some work. So he left a recording of the stories with the Hindu priest. And the Hindu priest really liked these stories. So he started playing the recording over the loudspeaker of the village. And so when the gentleman from our project came back to his village, 
people greeted him from the village and said, hey, are you the storyteller that we've heard about? We've heard the stories, we know the stories, and they were telling each other the stories, and they had kind of spread around the village because of that. Wow. Wow. Amazing. That's an amazing story. Maybe you could tell us and transition a little bit into some ways that people might be able to get involved. We have a great congregation. One of our goals with the podcast to get them started in serving, connecting with different ministries. What would be some ways that they might be able to support and partner with you and crew and specifically with Story Running? Well, one way, of course, is always financially. They can help fund one of our schools of storing or fund our staff that are um, coaching on the field someone like myself or others who are part of our team. Now, because of your secrecy and all that, they would have to contact me probably, with, and then I can connect them to you. Or to yes. Your, yeah, okay. Yeah, that would work. One of the other things that people can do, of course, is pray for us because, you know, obviously we're going to places that are yet unreached, and there's oftentimes some pretty thick spiritual battle happening in those places because of either local governments, local religions, things that become some challenges sometimes that even the conditions that we're in. We don't always go to village areas, but when we do, life in a village can be challenging sometimes with the lack of water and electricity and things like that. Another way you can partner is by joining us in one way or another through, we talked about this, the Orlando School of Storying or even a virtual storytelling training or um, joining us for a summer mission. We're hoping this coming summer we'll be able to travel again and send people on summer mission. Or as an intern, we have a number of people interning with us right now. Another way to partner is by joining our staff and either traveling with us or we have other roles obviously on our team that don't involve travel. If you have computer skills or web management, marketing, uh, fund development, human resources, things like that. Those are all needs on our team, training and development, things like that. So in addition to contacting Randy and making some connections that way, is there a website that would be good to visit? I mean, obviously, again, we're dealing with some security issues, but are there some resources that would be good to point people to? We can put them in the episode notes, or is it just best to contact Randy? What would be ideal? Well, as far as resources for storytelling, I would definitely want you to go to our storyrunners.org website. And we have a section on there, I think it's called resources, where um, it has some tips for how to learn stories and how to lead a story fellowship group and other ways that you can be involved in the ministry and how you can use stories really in your local community. Because there are lots of ways here, even in the U.S., to use stories in a ministry of evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. And we have people who come to our trainings here in Orlando who, they come from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of ministry callings. Some of them are Sunday school teachers and they want to use it either with the children's Sunday school or the youth ministry or even the adult Sunday school class, which of course when we're on the field, we're only working with adults. We're not working with children. But the stories work amazingly well with children, if you can imagine. And we have another lady that came to our training who has a homeless ministry, her and her husband work with the homeless in their community, and they're using stories to do evangelism and discipleship with the homeless community. So there's a lot of ways that you can use stories right where you are. Amen. That's great. Thank you. Tess, I noticed before when you told us the story, uh, the one on forgiveness, 
it was like you went to another place. It was just so clear and crisp. I'm just wondering what happened there? What, I mean, you were just in a different zone. Well, I think, Randy, one of the things we talk about in our trainees, power of God's spirit to do the work of the ministry. So that's a theme throughout our story set and especially our stories from the book of Acts. And so we know that we can't evangelize in our own strength. We have to go in the power of God's spirit and go by faith. So I think that's one thing, but also I've practiced this story many times. I've told the story many times, and it is one of my favorite stories in our set. And especially now, it's so personal to me because of the woman that I told you about from South Asia, who really could identify with this story. That was her life. And I think that's what's so great about so many of the stories in the set, and obviously from the scriptures, is that these are real people we're talking about. The woman who cried on Jesus' feet, she was a real person. She wasn't just some parable. This actually happened. And mm -hmm. there are people like her still today that need to hear the message of forgiveness, that need to be set free, just like that woman in South Asia. And, and they're waiting to hear God's story. They're waiting for someone to tell them mm -hmm. how that can happen. Well, it's my prayer that Perhaps even someone from our own congregation can be joining you and being part of what you're doing. It's just amazing. Thank you. Hope so too. Yeah, it really is. Thank you so much, Tess, for taking time to chat with us today. I agree with Randy hearing you tell that story. It's so compelling and kind of gripping in a very unique way. So thank you for that gift alone, but thank you for taking time to join us and share a little bit about your story and what you're doing. It's very exciting. I too hope that some folks from our congregation will get involved and would love to see that happen. So uh, anything else, any parting words or, or last things you want to share before we head out? I just want to thank you again for this great opportunity to spend some time with you guys and tell what God's doing. If anybody wants to connect financially, with Tess, let us know in the outreach department and we'll make that connection for you. All right. Thanks so much again, Tess. Thanks for those of you who joined us for this episode of the Reach and Teach podcast. We'll see you next time.